It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Thursday, August 29th, 2019. On this day in 1976, a masked man broke into a home in Rancho Cordova, California. For years, both he and his victims remained anonymous. The victims' identities are still unknown, but their stories are remembered because they were some of the few to successfully fight off the Golden State Killer. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. Today, we're going back to August 29, 1976, when Joseph James D'Angelo, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer and the East Area Rapist, broke into the home of a woman and her daughter. To protect the victim's privacy, in this episode, we'll refer to the mother as Darlene and the daughter as Tara. Although the pair successfully fought him off, D'Angelo continued to menace the suburbs of Sacramento, ultimately raping over 50 women and murdering at least a dozen victims. But before he killed, before the public feared the East Area rapist, he operated in relative secrecy. Today, we'll take a look at one of his very first crimes as we return to the night of August 29, 1976. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. It was after midnight, and a sleepy home was about to be rudely awakened. Rancho Cordova was boiling. 12-year-old Tara lay awake in her stifling room, Even with the window open to capture the relatively cool night air, her bedroom felt like an oven. She knew it wasn't just her. All of Sacramento was in the midst of a massive heat wave. It was after midnight, but Tara couldn't sleep. Besides the heat, she could hear the sound of music, muted but still distractingly audible from her sister's bedroom. Her sister loved Christian rock. She played it all night. Hopefully it was lulling her to sleep. At least one family member ought to get a good night of rest. Tara rolled over, trying to get comfortable as best she could in the sweltering heat. She may have dozed off for a few minutes, hard to say. Whatever sleep she got was too light for her to feel rested. And something didn't seem right. Something besides the heat, but Tara couldn't quite put her finger on it. The wind chimes. The room was utterly still, not a wisp of wind, but she still heard their clamor outside the window. And she smelled something out of place, too. A man's aftershave. 
Tara's eyes sprang open. She sat up, gasping. Sleep was long forgotten. She looked to her window to see a masked man prying the screen open with a knife. He'd bumped the wind chimes. As she watched, feeling like a horror movie heroine, Tara saw her screen clatter out of its frame. Through the dark opening, an arm reached inside to push the window further open so he could let himself in. She didn't wait to see what he'd do next. As she sprinted from her room, she weighed her next move. Tara's father wasn't home. He was working one of his overnight shifts, but her mother would protect her. She was an adult and knew what to do. Feeling her heart beating in her throat, Tara burst into her mother's bedroom and blurted, there's an arm coming through my window. Her mother, Darlene, was strikingly even keeled about the announcement, maybe too much so. Didn't she believe her? The two returned to Tara's room to assess the scene. There was no masked man, no knife, not even a lingering whiff of aftershave. Tara felt foolish as she and her mother reviewed the room. Maybe she'd imagined it after all. But the evidence was there. The screen knocked out of its frame. The wind chimes still clanged, singing about the disruption. The masked man must have run off when he heard Tara scream. He was certainly long gone now. As near as she could tell, Tara was out of danger. Darlene stepped into the other room to call the police, and the girl considered her bed with a growing sense of unease. She doubted she'd be able to fall asleep at all tonight. How do you let your guard down when the monster at the window is real? After a few minutes of calm, Darlene returned to report on her police call. Everything was going to be okay. Just as Tara thought she could catch her breath, the masked man lunged through the open maw of the window frame, lurching into her room. Darlene leapt to Tara's defense, grappling with the attacker. Tara realized that her mother was trying to create a distraction to give her a chance to escape. But that wasn't going to happen. Tara was no child, and she certainly wasn't going to flee, leaving Darlene behind. She could only hope her sister had heard the commotion and escaped. Tara crept after the attacker and Darlene, sneakily following their fight into the living room. There, Tara finally got a good look at the man, or at least as good a look as anyone can get at a man in a mask. But while his face was covered, his lower body wasn't. The girl blushed as she glimpsed the man's exposed genitals. But more unnerving were the man's raised hands. He held a gun in one hand and a cudgel in the other. He threatened to tie Darlene up, but before he could produce any rope, the mother clutched at the man's fist, wrestling for the gun. Tara was astonished at how strong her mother was. Darlene almost got the gun away from the man, only for him to beat her over the head with his club. Noticeably dazed but still conscious, Darlene ran toward the front door. The man followed her, and Tara knew that this was her chance to intervene. Tara grabbed the intruder from behind, pinning his hands to his sides. When the man broke free, he fled out the front door. 
Apparently, he'd determined that the fight wasn't worth it. Tara guarded the front door, ready to fight again at a moment's notice. Darlene jogged to a neighbor's house for help, and the man disappeared into the night. Neither mother nor daughter saw which way he went. After the rush died down, they went back to Tara's room. She and her mother stared at the empty hole where their attacker had once been. Once again, the wind chimes were still. Tara was grateful she'd thought to hang them. By waking her, they'd saved her life. They didn't need to discuss their next move. Neither cared how hot the air was. From then on, they were sleeping with the windows shut. Up next, we'll follow the series of coincidences that led to their attacker being caught. Now, back to the story. The anonymous mother and daughter didn't realize that they were the third victims of the man who broke into their home on August 29, 1976. The police, fearing a panic, were waiting to publicly announce the serial rapes in the area around Rancho Cordova and Citrus Heights. As the victim list grew longer, Eventually, police would disclose that they were hunting the attacker dubbed the East Area Rapist. Over three years, from 1976 to 1979, the East Area Rapist assaulted more than 50 women. When a serial killer began sexually assaulting and then murdering couples in 1979, the police didn't immediately link him to the East Area Rapist. And so, for years, the local population also feared the original Night Stalker, later dubbed the Golden State Killer, unaware that the two criminals were one and the same. For 42 years, the serial rapist and killer seemed destined to get away with his crimes, until a fluke broke the case wide open. Unbeknownst to the Golden State Killer, in late 2017 or early 2018, a person with no inkling of their connection to the notorious criminal ordered a commercial DNA test. When the results arrived, the killer's relative publicly posted them online in order to connect with others. Police identified a genetic link between the commercial DNA test results and the DNA evidence from the Golden State Killer investigation. The break was enough to lead them to identify the alleged killer, Joseph James D'Angelo. In April 2018, the 72-year-old suspect was arrested and charged with 13 counts of murder and another 13 counts of rape. As of 2019, D'Angelo is still awaiting trial. It remains to be seen how justice will be served, but his survivors have found some measure of peace in the knowledge that their attacker has been identified and arrested. Some victims, including the 12-year-old girl and her mother, who fought D'Angelo off on August 29, 1976, have yet to be publicly identified. But the mother, who we dubbed Darlene, gave an interview to CBS News in the spring of 2018. In the interview, she said, It's a real mystery how anybody could be like that, you know? 
but I guess he was, and I'm glad that they got him. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskind, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Angela Jorgensen. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 